I did tell you uh, last year that we're going to do a new series, uh, which would be, you'd expect that, wouldn't you? Early in the new year, the pastor's going to get up and start a new series. And so today is the first day of that. And the question that I'm hoping to answer in this series is how would Jesus and how would his, you know, those New Testament disciples, how would they live in our times, in our culture? That's where I want to push into. In my opinion, the cultural moment of the New Testament, it does actually translate to us quite well. You know, there is good parallels with today's cultural moment as well. It is timeless. God's word is timeless. So depending on where you live around the world as a Christian, you know, you're going to identify with a lot of things that you, you read in, in the New Testament that happened in that culture there and how Jesus responded to that. You know, for some people, they're going to identify with the, the, uh, the, the difficult bits, you know, the, the death, the torture, the persecution that Jesus had to go through. They're going to identify that with that because it still happens today. You know, for others, they're going to identify with um, being forced to flee their home and, and families and even their country and stuff like that. Some can identify with that because that's, that's still happening today as well. And, and you know, we, in, those of us in Australia, in, in, in Western cultures, some of those things we don't identify with very well. But, but we notice that there's a, an increasing cultural rejection of of God's ways, or even of God himself. Sometimes it, it, it even feels like you know, there's a real disdain for the Christian faith. As well as that pressure, the, you know, the direction that, that our Western culture is taking, it, it just it feels concerning, doesn't it, at times? You know, we're worried about the consequences of the direction that our culture is taking for generations to come. And sometimes you, you can't help but just feel anxious about these things that we see and that we experience. But as we face that challenge, as we shake our heads at what we see, you know, perhaps we even do feel rejection at times or, or pressure, you know, maybe pressure at work, pressure at uni, whatever it is that you encounter, we look to Jesus about how we respond how, and how did his disciples respond to these things? Because these things have, have happened throughout history. I'm always reminded of that Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire, right? <laughs> yeah, because the, the fire has, has always ebbed and flowed and, and been around since the fall of mankind, actually. So instead of rushing into being offended, you know, instead of rushing into being defensive or responding in kind, we, we need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And that's what I want to sort of explore a little bit. Remember the, when we were doing Philippians, you must have, this is Paul, you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Now, Paul was talking a lot about, you know, how we, how we live and how we love people and, and how we grow up and stuff like that. I'm kind of saying we must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus when it comes to how do we respond to the difficult stuff around us in our culture? What do we do? You know, what do we do when talking about sin? Is, is, it's kind of, it's almost... It's like the world accuses us of talking with hate speech these days. You know, what do we do when most people in our, in our secular society, this sort of post-Christian world we live in, they, 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 they say, I don't, I don't need God. You know, I have what I need. I've got all the stuff I need. 
Why do I need God? This is the sort of stuff I, I sometimes hear. I bet you do as well. You know, I've had people tell me, I talk to them about salvation. because what do I even need saving from? Like that, that understanding is, and that thought process is there now. What do we do when the world now sees truth? You know, we would really see God's truth in the Bible as being truth, but they now see it as it's subjective, you know. It's, it's my own truth now. It's not from God. And what, what do we do when most people think the Bible is just an ancient book? It's just irrelevant to them. That's the truth. I know. I don't like saying it out loud. It's very relevant, in my opinion, but that's what people will, will tell us. It's, very, it's not relevant to modern-day life. What do we do when our governments, they kind of start to put even some restrictions on, on, uh, on what we can, we can do? I, I know, for example, in Victoria, there's limits around how we can now counsel people around certain things. What do we do when, when governments have a real different view on, on the value of unborn life that we, we think is worth fighting for? What do we do when... People are now encouraged to embrace whatever desire and your identity can come out of your desires. What do we do when people in the, in the media and activists sometimes have a, have a go at the church? What do, we, what do we do when social media fires up and, and God is mocked and, and our faith is you know, really disrespected? What do we do when people dismiss us and just say, you're deluded, you're just believing in fairies? That's the sort of stuff I see in here. I don't know if you guys do. I bet you do as well. How do we respond in this cultural moment? I'm just skimming the surface there. Well, I actually think we should respond. I don't think that it's a time to retreat, you know, get into the bunker, pull the blinds down, be exclusive, and wait it out. Just wait for Christ's return. I don't think that's in the Bible. I don't think that's our answer. But it's tempting to. The gospel's too important for us to keep to ourselves. In fact, Jesus gave us the job. In a really difficult time of oppression, to still go and spread the word. So how do we respond? How do we, and I, I hate using the word fight, but how do we fight for the kingdom? And, and like it's, it's my sermon series title, How We Fight. And, and I just don't want you to hear... The word fight itself has, has it's, there's a lot of negativity about that, and I get that, but actually the word fight and, and battle and war is in the New Testament, right? So I went back to it. Originally, I was going to call this series, How Do We Play Offense and Defense? I was trying to have a sports analogy or something like that, and then I was going to say, how, how do we cope in battles? And I thought, you know, there, there, sometimes we, we fight, but we fight differently, okay? So I'm just telling you up front. So you know where I'm coming from. It's the point of this series, and I want to explore it over the next few weeks. We could respond in kind. We could get offended. We could get defensive. We could get angry. We can put others down, pick up our, you know, fire up the keyboards, um, <laughs> belittle people, dismiss people. And, you know, it's tempting, right, because... I guess the sinful part of me wants to join in on that. It's tempting. Got to defend myself and what I believe. And you do. That's the point of this sermon series. But it's, it's different to what our human, you know, the, the sinful part of me, how we want to respond. It's different. And I've seen Christians, and I'm perhaps I'm guilty of it at times, responding that way. 
We could spend a lot of our time being anxious and upset and rant about this person, that person, that group of people. We can cast aspersions on people. We could go looking for cultural commentators and groups who agree with us, reinforce our emotions, help us to, to um, uh, think that our anger is justified, align, we, we could align with an ideology, you know, the, you know the, those different ideologies that are all around us. They're fighting it out in the culture wars. And to be frank, it really doesn't take much to get sucked into an ideology that misaligns with the ways of Jesus, especially these days. At the extremes of ideologies is a really dangerous space. And sometimes it's not even at the extremes. It's right in the center of an ideology. There's a, there's a dangerous space there, and we have to be careful. Along with the drift to ideology is the, is the cult of personality. That's, that's just a big one. It's huge in our culture. We're looking for people and a cause to believe in and get value from uh, you know, and, and have purpose in life. And there's, there's a lot of people that will offer that to us. The cult of personality is now monetized. You know, people are, are making money, you know, from sucking people into their little area and reinforcing things in them that they probably shouldn't be. Social media platforms, YouTube, and, and yeah, even, even our mainstream media, they get paid when we click and listen or watch or read. And of course, Look, not everything is bad about uh, an ideology or, or a, um, a political cause, but the problem is that in our culture, the, the views, the, the contest of views and ideas, it's become very polarized and extreme. Has anyone else noticed that? Anyone? I'm just going to say it. The church is neither left nor right. We're not labor or liberal. We're not the Greens or One Nation. The political parties can have good policies that we agree with and support and align with. Of course, that's okay, but we are not at our core. Our um, purpose is not a political force. Our alignment is to Jesus, and Jesus had a radically different way to the rest of the world, a different purpose. And so followers of Jesus should be different. The church should be different. How we fight is upside down to the world. We're different. How we battle is, it's unconventional. It's, here's the key scripture that I'm going to quote for the next few weeks. It's from 2 Corinthians 10. Paul says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Yeah? We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Say it with me. I feel like no one's with me. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Here's how Eugene Peterson paraphrased that. He said, the world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog -dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. All right? So hopefully now you're seeing when I say how we fight, you can see where I'm going. So we're going to start at the beginning. The first thing is there is a battle. That's the first point. But it's not what we think it is. We fight for the kingdom. So our motives and our actions and our words and our methods and our attitudes, they look radically different to what we experience ourselves or what the world experiences. The example is the New Testament church. We find the examples of Jesus in the Gospels and uh, we find the example of the disciples, you know, particularly in, in the book of Acts, 
and through the letters that Paul writes and Peter writes and John writes, we, we see it. There's a, there's a spirit of how they, they go about responding to the world around them. You know, there's the vibe that, that you can't help but miss. Remember, they were facing pressure and persecution more than we are. They were facing moral decay as well, and yet they do it differently. Here's what we don't see in the New Testament. We don't see aggression or violence or attempted overthrow of governments from the disciples. You know, there was a, Jew, there was a group of Jews called the Zealots. They weren't, they weren't in the Christian group. Um, but they were trying to use that, that form of overthrow, you know, trying to, um, to get rid of the occupiers. But we don't see that from Jesus or, or his disciples. There was no attack. There's no revenge. That wasn't his way. Besides, the movement had more important things to focus on. Scripture says, it actually says that the government's not our enemy. And they're not the focus of our battle. In Titus chapter 3, it says, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. I think that's the key. Always ready to do what is good. Because when, you know, when we're against or we're fighting the government, it's hard to do that, isn't it? They must not slander anyone. That's pretty hard when we sometimes talk about our leaders and our politicians. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Well, that's what the world does best. This whole news channel set up just to argue and quarrel. They, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. So that's... That's what we are. That's who we are. That's how we go about it. The other thing we don't see is we don't see the Christian church putting faith in a, in a political saviour. At first they thought the Messiah would be. Before Jesus came, they thought that's who the Messiah was going to be, a political saviour or a military one, perhaps. But Jesus had a far bigger purpose than politics or, or nationalism. It was kingdom-focused. The kingdom wasn't about taking land or taking over governments. The kingdom was about making us right with God. The kingdom was about peace with, with God and with each other. It was, the kingdom was about humility. The kingdom was about lifting up those who are suffering and in need. The kingdom was about redemption, restoring lost and broken people. The kingdom was about freedom and overcoming sin and living for, for God in the way that he had originally designed us for. The kingdom was about Jesus. He's our saviour. There's no prime minister or president or king that is our saviour. Now, let me reassure you, of course it's okay to hold our government to account of course it's okay to ask them and expect them to do better. That's good. Of course it's okay to speak up and advocate for good causes and for change, and particularly for, for justice for those who need it. Of course it's okay to even get involved in politics and the government. That's all fine, all right? That's all good, but the way we go about it is different because we don't see our saviour in any politician or, or leader. We might like some leaders, we might, we like, 
might like their policies, you might like even their character and their integrity and stuff like that. That's, please hear me, that's all good. Support those people. But Jesus is our saviour. And sometimes I feel like it can be tempting to think that person, that politician, you know, he's like our saviour or she. And that's not what Christians do. Even when our governments seem to defy God's commands, God wants us to respond in a humble way that represents him. Our response, even to those who may come against us, is always a witness to God. It's always a witness. We fight different. I'm not saying we don't fight, but we don't fight as humans do. That's what Paul said back in 2 Corinthians. We understand the battle is different. We understand that the serious battle is actually happening in the spiritual world. Which brings me, of course, to point two. Our battle is actually against evil. And we know that because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Very important scripture. Our enemy is not people. Our enemy is the unseen evil rulers of the world. They, the, the evil rulers of the world may influence people, but that doesn't make those people our enemies. It feels like we're in a battle against people at times, but the real battle is unseen. It's the evil in the world. And that's why Paul says, even though we are human, we don't wage war as humans do. We don't wage war against those people. Paul goes on in Ephesians to talk about standing our ground with the full armor of God. And, and you know, I've spoken about that before. It might be a couple of years ago now. We've, we've talked about what that looks like, and that, that is definitely worth exploring. But as we go through this series... Uh, well, we may, we may get there. I really want to, I'm looking at the, the totality of the, of the response to the culture that Jesus and, and, and his disciples had and how we can look to that. So that's the end of the intro to this series, right? And yeah, not the end of the sermon. Now I'm about to start the sermon. No. But I just wanted to set that up for you. And I hope you, you hear where I'm going with this, where my heart is. It's who we are as Christ followers, as the church, and how we can respond well. I want to start with the number one battle tactic as the church that Jesus leads. And it's, and it's this. It's point three. Prayer is the most effective battle plan. I thank Pastor Adam. He's out with the youth at the moment for touching on a, um, you know, how prayer should be part of our personal life a few weeks back. And, and so I'm going to go just... Deeper into that today, but in a, in a broader church-wide setting. Because straight after the armor of God that Paul talked about in Ephesians, straight after he says, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against evil and all these unseen uh, rulers. Then, then he talks about the armor of God. And then he says in, in, in verse 18, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And, and the point is this, that you can't help read, when you read the New Testament, you can't help but see the constant example and call to prayer. You can't miss it, and if you're missing it, you're reading it wrong. Jesus faced, actually I wanted to say, this is how we fight, first and foremost. It's the main battle tactic. If Paul says that there's a there's a battle going on. This is the main tactic. 
as we pray. And if you think prayer is just a cop-out, if you think that it's just for the weak and the timid, you are completely wrong. Jesus faced more than any of us will ever have to face. And he, he was an example of strength and courage in the face of what came against him. And yet Jesus was always praying. It was his response to everything he faced. He talked to his father. He took time out always to pray. Praying actually requires courage. It takes the fight to the devil. It's a sign of faith and loyalty to Jesus. The disciples themselves had to be strong and filled with courage because of what they faced. They were always praying. Paul, the man who faced incredible challenges and opposition, was always praying. If you think, you know, praying is just for the weak, think of Paul. You know, he's like the bare grills of the Bible, that guy. He was out there. Man, he took on all the challenges. He faced so much. But that, that man was a prayer. He was a prayer. No wonder he achieved so much for God. Mary was filled with faith and courage when, when she faced a massive, surprising challenge. She was a prayer. The New Testament Christians were always praying. You know, that's, it's, it's all they had at times was each other and prayer. They were praying at all times on every occasion, led by the Holy Spirit, but Paul says, pray in the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead, lead our prayers. You show me any great Christian um, man or, or woman throughout history who was changing the world for God, and I promise you, they were prayers. And to be honest, a church that lacks prayer, is just, it's just not being the church. A church that is not praying is a timid church. A church that is not praying is a powerless church. We would lack fruit and kingdom results. Prayer is the first and most important way we fight, but too often we just don't. Yes, of course, we still have to fight in the physical. You know, there's, there's things we have to do. This is a series, okay? There's things I'm going to talk about that we have to do. So it's not just about shutting the doors and praying and going in, out and, and doing nothing. <laughs> when we pray, God will often tell us what to do. You think of someone like William Wilberforce. You know, he was a politician who... He made change. He had to fight for, for good things in the political sphere. If we're not praying, we could shut the doors to the church because we're not being the church. Without prayer, we're not being the church. And you heard Mark last week. He was reading from Acts and there was this beautiful picture of the early church and how they... Um, met together, sometimes in the temple, sometimes in the homes, you know, all these things are going on. And, and then hopefully you, you didn't miss this. In uh, chapter 1, Luke says, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. So when we meet together, prayer is what we do. You know, it's in, it's in, it was in their DNA. It has to be in ours as well. They loved Jesus so, of course, they want to just talk to him. And it makes complete sense. He is the reason why we're sitting in this building today. So we should be talking to him. 
and listening to him and hearing his leading and his voice and praising him and calling on him and all those sorts of things. There was a time when Jesus entered the temple and he saw something that made him angry. You know, Jesus didn't get angry very often. It tended to be a religious folk. <laughs> and, and, but he did walk into the temple and, and he saw something there. He didn't like it. The church or the temple had become something different. And you know the story. He's flipping tables and um, push, getting people out who were doing the wrong thing. That, that did upset him. Rare occurrence to see our Lord angry like that when the church had misaligned what it was supposed to be doing, what it was about. And then he says in Matthew 21, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you turned it into a den of thieves. Harsh words. Of all the descriptions that Christ could have used for the temple or the church, he chose house of prayer. It was actually a quote from the Old Testament, but that's what the purpose was. That's what we should be seen as, a house of prayer. He didn't call it a house of preaching. I should stop and just sit down, right? And we should just start praying. He didn't call it a house of, of music or, or fellowship or tea and coffee or anything like that. Or about, um, um, you know, all those things, are, by the way, are amazing and good and important. But he just wanted to say at the very top, I think this is what he's saying. It's a house of prayer when we come together. That's what we do. And, I, I, you know, so I asked the question, are we a house of prayer? I wonder, would Jesus refer to us that way? Would, you know, if he's, if he's talking to someone in heaven and he's like, they're Hill's Church, if they're a house of prayer, would he say that? I think it's okay to, to ask that hard question. Now, I really believe we've come a long way in this area, but I also think we've, we've got a way to go, me included. I, I hope that's, that's okay. I, years ago, I, when God said... I really felt like God was calling me to be a pastor and I felt like he said, the church you lead, I want you to make sure it prays. Like that, I've shared that with you before. Lead a church that prays. We had to pray. I need us to pray. I need us to pray. God wants us to pray that Jesus would build the church because I knew that I couldn't build the church. I didn't want us to just talk about it and preach about it. I want it to be real, to be a church that prays. And so, you know, it's, you know, it's seven years ago to this week that we started that Wednesday night prayer meeting. And, and that Wednesday night prayer meeting has ebbed and flowed over the years. We've had some great seasons of prayer. It's fair to say we've had some leaner and quieter seasons of prayer as well. That's okay. I remember saying to God, if, you know, if just one person comes, we've got a prayer meeting. I'll keep, I'll keep it going, you know, and lean on to that scripture that says, um, if two or three are gathered, and, and I know that um, God's with us when, when it's only me. Like, I, I know that. We can pray. We can pray by ourselves, of course. But I, I feel like that was just a, an encouragement to go, you know, even if there's two of you there, that's a church. That's a gathering. That's a prayer meeting right there. Two or three are gathered. I'll be there is what God says. It's a promise, all right? It's my um, firm belief that it's because of this prayer meeting and other prayer that happens throughout the life of the church that God is moving. He is moving here. But I think we're only scratching the surface of what God wants to do. It's important that you know that we don't only pray for Hills Church on Wednesday nights. Okay, If you haven't been to one of those prayer meetings, 
we, we pray for lots of things. That is the common theme, of course, but we also pray for Christians around the world who are facing it, really doing it really tough. It's a different country every week. We follow the open doors list of countries. That's a good thing for us to do, is to remember those Christians that are suffering. We also pray for our uh, surrounding community. We pray for our government and our leaders. We pray for people who aren't well. We pray for healing for people. The really special nights are the ones when we really focus in on, on our family and friends who just aren't walking with the Lord. And we intercede for them. You know, we pray for breakthroughs. And I admit that some Wednesdays, you know, I'm tired. Already worked a whole day. Now I've got to go lead a prayer meeting. And sometimes I don't want to be there, but I promise you that every time, without fail, I have walked out of that room blessed. So here we are at the beginning of 2023. And I've preached a message on the church praying at the end of January for seven years now. <laughs> I'm not going to stop. Please don't mark it in your diaries and think, well, now I know what he's preaching in 2024. <laughs> I won't be there that week. It'll be familiar. He'll preach on prayer. It's good. But I, these things, sometimes they leak out of us a little bit. You know, this vision I think that God gave us. And so I'm just, I think it's really important. And I'm going to just keep mentioning it and asking for it and praying. February is our month of prayer and fasting. Can't believe it. It's January the 20-something today. 28th? 9th? 29th? Yeah. <laughs> Lost track. But this, this Wednesday is February the 1st. The month of prayer and fasting begins. Yeah. All right. I'm getting there. This is good. So my appeal to you is this. Would you consider joining us in February for at least... And notice I say at least one Wednesday night in February. I'm, I'm just asking you, you, if you come to all of them, we are going to get on really well. But <laughs> I want you there for all of them. But I, I'm asking you, would you please consider church, watching online, here in the auditorium today, watching it during the week as a catch-up, please consider one Wednesday night in February. I'm asking the whole church family to do this. It's how we fight. Kids are welcome. They can pray with parents. They can sit with their friends and pray, especially teens and young adults. I 100% get that 6.30 p.m. is dinner, bath, homework, and bedtime, right, for young children. I, I understand so now I'm going to give you an out. <laughs> if you can't get here, and that reason in particular is the reason, I, I offer this alternative at 6.30 p.m. Pray with your family in your house, even if it's just for five minutes with your kids. You go to the Open Doors website and you'll find the, the first four countries for the first four weeks. And you can pray for another country with your kids. How good would that be? Ask your kids what they want prayer for. And then encourage them to have a go. This could be a significant moment for you teaching your kids how to pray. You know, I wish I had done more when my kids were little in that area, 
in teaching them how to pray. I don't know why it is sometimes at home we find that more awkward there than we do in the church. It's weird. But push into it. Once you start, it'll be okay. They won't forget. They will remember when I was young, my parents sat down and taught me to pray. When the whole church was doing it, get them excited about it. If you do that, I want to encourage you, send me a text or something like that, not because I'm checking on you, but because it makes me feel very encouraged and I'm going to let others know. I've got all these text messages. If they're not here, they're at home praying tonight. If you travel for work, if you're out of town on Wednesday, maybe you're stuck in the office, perhaps you're on holidays still, just stop for some time on a Wednesday night and pray as well. Did you know that there is, well... Over 400 people, if everyone was to come at once at Hills Church, there's over 400 of us now. Imagine, just picture 400 people in a prayer meeting. Just picture that. I can picture it. Imagine if 400 people came two weeks in a row. Like, just picture that. We also fast on Wednesdays in February. Here's how that looks. For all of Wednesday, when you get up, uh, fast from food. So instead of eating breakfast, spend some time in prayer. Instead of eating lunch, spend some time in prayer. You don't have to spend, pray for an hour. You're thinking, this is too hard, Pastor. No, no, no. You pray for as long as you need to or God wants you to. It might only be a few minutes, but you pray. You let your hunger, let those hunger pains remind you of God's provision and our need for him every single day. Then we come and we pray here or you pray at home, whatever it is you do. And then after that, you break your fast and have dinner. Small group leaders, this year, I want, I want to hear some great stories about prayer times in your small groups. Encourage your, your small groups to pray and make it, or help it, I should say, be heartfelt and uh, energetic. Uh, what I want to say is look for ways for it to not be boring. Okay, because some people in our prayer groups can have that effect. And I don't mean to put anyone down, but think of creative ways to bring prayer into your small groups with, so that when you get to prayer time, people don't go, oh, they go, yeah, we're going to do that right now because we we've don't fight the way that humans do. Ministry leaders, bring prayer into your ministries, please. I love it on Sunday mornings when I see you know, this group here prays and they pray at the back and then the, the welcome team and, and the hosting team, they're all praying in their little huddle. And I think the kids team have a prayer time as well. Ministry leaders, be praying. Here's the best bit. If we commit to being cons cons constantly united in prayer, the fruit will flow. The fruit will flow. From our prayers, the church will have a greater impact. From our prayers, our mission will be more effective. We'll raise up more missionaries that we even send out. We can take more, by the way. <laughs> it's okay. I know there seems to be a lot of work in that area. It's probably because of the praying. From our prayers, people will be saved. Relationships will be restored. People will be healed. God's name will be glorified. And we will be more united. And we can have a positive um, effect in, in this culture for Jesus, the way that he wants us to. Now, if coming to a prayer meeting worries you and you're like, oh, they're going to ask me to do something I don't want to do, we won't. I can reassure you, we won't. If you just sit there and quiet, pray quietly the whole time, you've done all you need to do. 
Some people, yes, they love to pray out loud. I love that. We, we should learn to do that, quite frankly. But it's okay. You're not going to be forced to do anything that you don't want to do. In fact, the most you have to say perhaps is just amen, right? And I think everyone can do that. That's it. It excites me more than anything. I hope it can excite you too. We're going to kick off this Wednesday. We'll be in the, I think we'll be in the next gen hall unless so many of you come that we have to relocate into here. That would be a great problem to have. 6.30 p.m. I'll tell you what, I'll put on tea and coffee out there at 6 o'clock if you're on your way home from, from work or something like that. Um, you can come a little bit early. We can have a chat and we'll do that. We'll probably have a song or two, I think. I'm going to ask Mark to do that. I haven't told him yet, but Mark, that's what we're doing. And we'll pray. We'll sing and then we'll pray. It'll be all done in 45 minutes, but it'll be a powerful 45 minutes. All right? I mean, if God makes us go over time, fine. I'm just saying 45 minutes, you can do it. There is a battle. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. So we're going to start right now, actually. Would you stand with me? Team, you can come up as well. Slightly over today, I apologize, but I think it's okay. But we are just going to spend a few minutes praying because that's what the church does. All right? As we pray, agree with me. Silently, if you want, out loud, if you can. Lord Jesus, we come before you now, your church. This is your church. And Lord, we were singing earlier, we're sorry for the things we've made it, worship that is. And Lord, we're sorry for the times we've neglected just standing before you together in times of prayer and talking to you and um, interceding on behalf of others. And we're sorry, Lord, for, for not listening. You're probably trying to get our attention. So we're sorry, God. But I thank you that you are a gracious, loving, merciful God. And so we, we now stand before you in that grace. And we bring before you some, some needs around our world. Lord, I, I think of a, a war that's battling right now in Europe. And we never thought, I never thought we'd get back to that. God, I, I bring before you that war and the suffering going on there. So Lord, we intercede on behalf of, of the Ukraine. And we pray, God, that there can be an end. We pray, God, that the, the missiles stop. We pray, God, and we ask that you would influence leaders, particularly in Russia and other countries, Lord, with ill intent. We pray, God, that um, for your peace to flow instead. God, I want to lift up to you the church in that country, the Christian church, Lord Jesus, as they um, continue to serve and help Lord, I think of World Hope and other organizations also there trying to rescue people and bring relief. God, we lift them up to you. Please resource them and give them all that they need. Lord, we think of all those who have been suffering through uh, floods around our country and in New Zealand of late. They're our um, you know, brothers and sisters. They're our fellow citizens that... Lord, so many have been flooded more than once. And God, we ask that there would be relief from that. We pray, God, that 
the excessive rain would, would cease. And we ask, God, that you would provide for all those who have that need in this time. But we do pray for our, the governments around our country. Your word tells us too, and so we lift them up to you, Lord Jesus. We pray, God, that, um, that they would, as they think through how to serve this country, Father, that they would, be, they would do it with humility, uh, Lord, that they would do it with the needs of the most desperate in mind. And Lord, that there would be direction and policy, Lord, that would align with you. But we pray for our leaders, God, that you would bless them and, and uh, that you would show them the way. Lord, around us is a lost and hurting community and neighborhood. Probably 90% of them not walking with you, who don't follow you. They, they see the church. They see your, your word as irrelevant. Lord Jesus, it's, we, we pray for them, God, because um, they are lost and they, are, they, they don't have the same hope that we do. They don't have a destiny that we have. And so, Lord, for all the churches, including Hills, I just pray, Father, that there would be a new season of, of impact, a new season of power, Lord, a new season of mercy, a new season, Lord, where we can reach more people and make more disciples. So, Lord, we pray for those broken families around us. We pray, Lord, that, um, that we will be able to, to meet those needs and do it in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the many ministries, the people who volunteer, the people who are serving vocationally. God, I thank you that we have the privilege of serving you. I pray, God, for a church that, has, um, that always keeps their focus on you, Lord, and, and, and serves with purpose, kingdom purpose, Lord Jesus. We, we pray, God, that Hills Church would be more effective. Help us, Lord, though, to stay humble, to, to, um, to always serve out of love and grace as you did. Lord, help us to reach more seekers. I believe, Lord, there's thousands of people around us looking for meaning, and we gotta, we got to find them. Lord, help us to find them and to, and to witness to them with the, with the gospel, with the good news. Lord, I do pray that uh, your healing hand will continue to move on those who are unwell in this church. Lord, I, I pray for... Um, even this week, those over the last couple of weeks, several people within our church family have lost elderly parents. God, we lift them up to you in their time of grief. I pray they know your presence like never before. Lastly, Lord, uh, it says in your word, in fact, you, Jesus, you said we should pray this prayer. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. This is the battle. God, we pray that, that evil has no power in your church. We pray, Lord, that uh, the presence of evil, that the devil himself, Lord, will continue to be disarmed and his plans cancelled. We pray, Father, um, that we ourselves will not fall into any trap the devil sets. Lord, deliver us from temptation. So, God, as we, as we come together as your church now, we thank you that you're moving here. I want to pray, Lord, for our, our month of prayer and fasting, Father. It's not just a flash in the pan. Lord Jesus, motivate us and still in us a hunger to be in your presence and to be talking to you together as a church. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.